Good day, and welcome to Healing in the Afterlife. This is a show about coming to a place of peace and healing after loss. I am Deborah Brown, and it is my honor and privilege to be co-hosting the show with Benjamin Allen, my friend, a brilliant writer, a gifted speaker, and an amazing human being. Hello, my friend, an amazing human being. How are you today? <laughs> Hi, Deborah. Fine. How are you doing? I'm good. I think you enjoy doing these shows with me every two weeks because you get to be reminded in a big way, in a public way, how much I love you. So how about that? Yeah, that's wonderful. I've, I've, I've never been called an amazing human being, so I love to hear it. Please, please, please. Every two weeks. <laughs> well, that's that's great. That's great. And, you know, we we start the show with a little levity and a little, you know, humor, um, this way, and then we delve right into uh, a discussion of loss, which is a paradox of, of a kind. But you know what? It's life, right? Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is. Even when, even when Lydia was uh, going through her time of uh, you know, and her terminal illness, that we still had a lot of laughs. We still, you know, it, it doesn't have to be somber. It, 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 but the, the beauty of that is, the deeper we go with someone, the the more laughs we can have and the more depth we can go to, uh, the greater the the sensitivity and the intimacy and the greater the levity at times. So it's, it's not a, a black and white experience of, uh, uh, when someone is going through a terminal illness. Well, I think that's why I have enjoyed doing these shows with you is to shine a light on the the healing process, but also the journey to get to um, kind of the the culmination of whatever the the loss. And I'm not saying this. this I'm saying this very inartfully. I'm I'm saying that we have a a journey from not having the loss, realizing we're about to have the loss, and then having the loss. And it is a a gradual thing sometimes, and sometimes it, it you know there's no warning at all, but um, mm-hmm. Reading your book, uh, Out of the Ashes, Healing in the After Loss, and also having these shows and talking to you so much, I realized that thinking about it a little bit in advance, talking about it a little bit, laughing about it a little bit or whatever, is very helpful. It's very, very helpful. Uh, it is. It is. And, and uh, just for those that don't know that have joined the show, that because of, you know, all three of my family members uh, had uh, terminal illnesses. And so, and Brian, our youngest, died at eight and a half months old. And we knew he died first, and we knew he was going to die for three months. So it, it's not just terminal illness of an adult. There's a child, and then also, then Lydia died three and a half years later of the same illness. And then Matt, our, our oldest child, died at the age of 13, around uh, three years after Lydia. So, you know, dealing with the terminal part of living in, in the shadow of death with life is, is what uh, we did on, on many levels. So I uh, thought I'd just give that little background there. That's how, you know, a lot of the book is, all most of the first part of the book is about that, and the second part of the book is about coming out of that but uh, uh, not out of it, but through the loss element into 
you know, a, a harmonization of what's been lost and what's been retained. So, so let's talk about the first half of that process or that that journey for a minute or two, because um, people who are terminally ill or even chronically ill probably have the same feelings of something has changed. You know, the, the, the idea that I think you've mentioned before that what is is no more. Mm-hmm. You know, what was is no more. That's what I meant to say. Um, you know, and, and you just have to kind of figure out how to order your reality in a way that, you know, that somebody has given you this this news that you've now got stage four kidney failure, let's say. And... Mm-hmm. Um, what are you supposed to you know what are you supposed to do with that information how do you how do you gird your loins so to speak to to live with that well i i have to say that that, that in, in my experience there's a, there's a physical element to it a spiritual element an emotional and mental upheaval that takes place and one of the initial aspects is the physical that we dealt with was the the debilitation and 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 the uh, the the moving from one thing that was you're capable of and one and, and in that deterioration, and we used to have a, a scale that Lydia and I would use with her, saying, "Well, how are you today?" And on a scale of one to ten, you know, so I would know what she could do and what she needed help with, what she wanted to do on her own, what she could do on her own. And in that scaling system, as the disease progressed and her health was uh, declining, she said to me once, "As you know, my, my uh, one to ten used to be getting up, going to the car, and going to the grocery store. Now ten is getting uh, getting up and going to the refrigerator. And in that sense of the shifting of the scaling system." I realized that, you know, what she was doing was she was altering her capacity and finding a a sense of acceptance to some degree that this is the best she could do. And that was a very gentle way of approaching the day. And, you know, it's really hard when everything shifts not to compare it to the before time, before when when there was health and, and vitality, into a place of now this is a challenge that I must face, this is what I must go through. On, a, on an emotional level, uh, what she went through it was it, it really, really uh, and what Matt went through, and, and to some degree Brian, but with Brian, of course, was not uh, verbally communicative, but it was the emotional embrace of life in the midst of this this impending death, the inevitableness of death, and how to live life in the midst of it and in spite of it and because of it. So there is this whole shifting emotionally that was going on. And on a spiritual level, this understanding of spirituality for me is a sense of meaning, what gives meaning. And her meaning and her connection to, to the expanse of, of life beyond this plane of existence was in an evolutionary state as well. 
and she moved into a different way of relating and needed to come to asking major questions and looking for major answers, then sometimes those answers didn't come, and looking for a place of peace without the answers. So, And then on a mental level, what we went through because of the uh, uh, the illness, added, there was a compounded by dementia and the loss of memory and the loss of the, in that sense there was there was a shifting of the mental capacity as well that we had to contend with. Oh goodness! So what I'm reminded of is a lot of your. Um, book talks about going the distance. Right. Um, they had to go the distance, and you had your way of going the distance. And it was really beautifully written, and of course, I know it was beautifully lived because I know you, and you wrote it the way it was. So, mm. you know that that going the distance was such an important piece. And, you know, the um, the people that are going to be left behind if the person is terminally ill and, and, and is going to pass away, you know, they have their own way that they're going to go the distance. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, sure. Uh, thanks for the question because it really is that going the distance was there's, – there's two elements to that that is really kind of described, chronicled in the book, but also the way I look at this, going the distance – is that ultimately being present for someone at the very end of their life, to really be a part of that transition from this life to to beyond. Uh, and there's another element of that that really is the most crucial part, is going the distance in every moment, going the distance in every day, and, and being a, a sense of presence and a sense of, of support and and in that moment-by-moment, moment, day in and day out, movement of life. Uh, and uh, I read somewhere back uh, when we were going through all of this of a woman that had cancer that uh, and her partner was trying to be supportive, and she described it as going on a different path, that there was just some places that he could not go. And that gave me a lot of insight and so there were just some places I couldn't go with Lydia or, or Brian or Matt, but I could be present and I could have a parallel path and be there. That's going the distance. And, it's, it's, it's so, and to be able to go, to the, go the distance at the end of one's life, for me, was determined by being able to go the distance in life. Exactly. And what I'm thinking is it would be less exhausting and disheartening for the person that's going to be left behind to realize that they are on that parallel path rather than having to you know sort of live through all of what that the dying person is going through. You don't have to if you're just there. You know, you're there as a support, as a an open heart and a you know kind, loving presence. 
Um, because the other way, it's, I think, exhausting. And that's why there's caregiver support groups to kind of help people figure out what to do, you know, with, with all of this right. um, this new life that yeah. you're now it's, thrust into. Yeah, Deborah, and I, if there's someone out there listening that is in this uh, state of being a caregiver, what I, I, I hope that this, this conversation would be helpful for them because one of the major components of me being able to stay present was to do my own path, to be healthy. The healthier I was, the healthier I could be there for the ones around me, physically, emotionally, spiritually, and mentally. But there's a major component in my experience as being a caregiver was the survivor's guilt. This survivor's guilt was absolutely debilitating for me and that feeling here I am healthy and 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 watching them day in and day out slip away, you know, incrementally. It was not quick and it was not pretty. And it was uh, I said, why am I alive? Why am why am I living and they're dying? Why am I healthy and they're sick? And that was a a, a major uh, issue that I needed to address and I needed to come to a place of, of peace around that, that this is my path and this is my path is to be present for them and to be of love to them but I couldn't, I couldn't walk their journey and they couldn't walk mine. Wow. That's, <laughs> yeah. I like this idea very much of the parallel path. And I also like it as a as a as a uh, an image in my mind of a parallel path that's really just just an arm's length separated. In other words, you can reach your hand out, and that other person can reach his his or her hand out, and you can touch, and yet you're not on their path because you can't be. Otherwise, no. you die too, and you die spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically. Um, this happens, of course, to a lot of people who are taking care of their very elderly spouse, you know, and they, their their health starts to go. They just start to deteriorate like crazy. The person, uh, the one that's dying dies, and then the other one dies right behind them. Now, is mm-hmm. that because of grief, or is it because they wore themselves out, or it's just timing? Who knows? Good questions. Yeah, it, who knows what it is, but it is... And it, the, what I would address within those questions is the dynamic of there's an intertwining of souls. There's an intertwining of love. There's this incredible experience of of the journey that, that is shared uh, and how that does need to be separated from the journey that's impossible to share. But that shared journey is so intimate and so deep, like we talked about at the beginning of the show, is that, that Lydia and I grew to in tremendous depths of, of intimacy in the midst of this, and, and that takes its toll. That is, that, uh, I did not walk away unscathed, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, and, and so those kind of elements of understanding that the... And, and, and it, the word that's coming to mind that is certainly not the word is, and I won't even use it because I don't even put it there, but it, 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 it's not a relationship that has to be uh, enmeshed 
it, it, it can be a, a relationship that is so interwoven that that kind of intimacy and capacity is there to share a remarkable experience with the other person. Well, well, I'm finding myself a little tense about that idea of that deepening intimacy, loving more, you know, being present, and knowing that the purpose for all of that is preparation for the other person's transition. <laughs> so it's yeah. like, wait a minute, yeah. I'm going to be even more in love. Seriously, I don't, I don't know. Should that? Does that make sense? You know, uh, I want to back yeah, off. Well, I want to hide. I want yeah. to protect myself. Yeah, you and, know? That, and that's a health, and that's healthy. That's healthy. What I found is I needed pacing, and I needed periods of where I could do that to back off, to protect myself, to process away from it all. The, the, I think where the debilitation is greatest is when there's not that rhythm. Of, of uh, from a caregiver's point of view, not that rhythm of respite, where there is a, a chance to step away and to be a part of just my own experience of my my pain, my hurt, and my sorrow, and to find a world beyond that singularity of of, of sorrow that comes with with being with someone. So there is that balance, and without that balance, it is overwhelming, and it is it is impossible to do. So, you know, we had 13 years of going through this, and I had to find a way to find my own rhythm of what I needed in the relationship, what I could give to the relationship, and what I needed outside of the relationship to find, find life sustainable for me. Well, you just put it in exactly the words that I needed to hear because, um, I, I, like I said, I was thinking, wow, this is making me um, feel like that would just be um, such a scary process, you know. But if you say it's a rhythm of, you know, go deep, be present, and then back off and process it in, in private a little bit and then have some respite and whatnot and then come back, so that you are continuing to nourish your own soul and being, and then you're even more um, powerful a presence for that person who is dying. Absolutely. So. You know, the last, the last part of, uh, of uh, well, Lydia's life, we knew it was imminent, and we were preparing Matt for her death, and, and Matt was nine years old when, when Lydia died. And then the last of Matt's life, uh, I was given this remarkable gift of, of my work let me take a leave of absence for that year, for a year to be with Matt, his last year of life. So we were together every day. I was his caregiver, I was, and I was so grateful for that. But I also needed time away. I needed time so. I continued my rhythm of exercise, of, of meeting with friends at times, and, and having that outlet. So I could be present for him, you know, and the, I needed to, I cannot be present for another if I'm not present for myself. It, it is robbing both of us. And so I needed that rhythm, and then there were times at the end where it was 24-7, but that was that was sustainable because even in that, 
there I had found a way to have my own internal rhythm of separation and engagement without having to be physically not present. So there was a, and it doesn't mean to be able to walk away to, to find respite isn't a lack of love. It is the it's the nurturing and re energizing of love for my own presence and my own place of spirit so I can be there for our presence, Matt and I's presence and our our spirit. It's really important. It's not an easy I mean, we're, we're we wanted to talk about perhaps around the the idea of the, of the terminal and what what the terminal illness does to an individual uh, and what what that diagnosis does and maybe that's for another conversation. But you know, it seems like we've kind of gravitated more to what a caregiver needs in this situation. So. <laughs> well, I wouldn't mind I wouldn't mind wrapping back around though to okay. um, to what happens to even just someone that finds out they're chronically ill, they don't really know. Uh, I mean, we're all terminal <laughs> at some point. We're all going. Um, yeah, but, but we're, not, uh, we're, not that, we're not that conscious of it. <laughs> no, that's, no, that's and the that's the point. I think that's a very good place to start, to to have that consciousness now in your uh, in your everyday moment, life to, you know, moment to moment. You have that notion in your consciousness that, You've got a, you've got a thing now. It's either something um, that you're managing with medicine, or you're managing with some kind of treatments, or you're just waiting for it to take its course. But it's not normal anymore. You know, it's not norm- what normal life was until you got that diagnosis. So, right. you know, talk about that a little bit. Well, on on. The the idea of, of the chronicle illness, uh, you know, I've known several people that have had that that live with that experience of a new engagement with life. It's not like it's terminal, but that is a loss. Loss is loss in in many ways, and to lose what was once on offer and and ha- having the ability to that is a grieving process in and of itself, and. To be able to, I've, there's this friend that I I have that uh, she is a, a beautiful person. She's got really bad arthritic condition, and I mean where picking up a cup is difficult. And she's not an elderly woman. She's had this for a while, and she is just has a, this radiant spirit about her. And I think that really comes through that she talks about being grateful to get up in the morning, you know, and somehow she's transformed and transcended what was into what is, and that, you know, even in her pain, you know, she said one time, wow, today I didn't have any pain, and there was just this sheer joy that came from her, and I was just in amazement and in awe of, of her spirit. And you know that that is where that's the where I would hope that I would be able to journey to with with a chronic illness. But there was that sense of grief that she had, that sense of knowing that this was going to continue, that there was no treatment for that, and uh, that that is the kind of situation that that you know really 
everyone we 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 live when something let me put it this way when something that shifts us out of our norm it brings up every core value every belief system that we have to be reevaluated and so whether it's a chronic illness a terminal illness a loss of, of a job a loss of something a part of us there, it brings up our beliefs and it brings up how we live life in that consciousness like you talked about Deborah is that you know we become more conscious of, of what's been under the surface of our lives so uh, in my experience to lean into that consciousness to lean into all of those feelings the anger the frustration the fear the joy the love the intimacy the to keep in the, the fluidity of consciousness has always taken me to a greater expanse and a deeper relationship to life. To cut that off, to 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 stop and say I don't want to feel this anymore, and I don't want to think this, I don't want to be this anymore. It, that cuts off the fluidity and doesn't give me in that experience, which I've experienced. I don't want to feel this anymore. I'm exhausted. I don't want to do this anymore. But then something shifts, and I and I step into another day. But it is about the fluidity of consciousness that brings expanse, and and to hopefully to be someone like my friend that can that can respond in such an incredible way to such a difficult difficult path. Well, I can share that my husband is the person that I certainly think about the most when I think about a a chronic illness because um, he has stage four um, kidney failure. He is and has had for six or seven years. I think we're probably in the seventh year. And I say we because we both are living with how how this works, you know, and he's doing in-home dialysis, which is a Uh miracle. And, and I'm, I will tell you that he is the healthiest person around. I don't even consider him sick, you know, for the most part. I, I And if somebody finds that odd, you know, gee, how can you not consider someone with stage four, <laughs> you know, end-stage uh, kidney failure? I mean, he's got 9% kidney function. Um, but he's wow. healthy, and be, and he's healthy because he has a good attitude. Um, he does more some days than I do. You know, he's got great energy. But I know that there is a a feeling of things that are lost. You know, he can't play golf the way he used to. He can't, uh, you know, he can't, there's certain things he can't do anymore, uh, including lift. He can't lift uh, anything more than 25 pounds. So, you know, this is a, a big guy, a very strong man, and, you know, there's just things he can't do. You know, like even getting the bag of, the big bag of dog food is probably over the weight limit, you know. So things changed. You know, when we found out that he was um, going to have to go through this, but um, we had to figure out a new way to to be. You know, and 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 I have had my moments where I've had to say, okay, you know, I'm I'm great at at being a partner in this, and I need to not be that today. And right. I think I've done it maybe two or three times. And my brain my brain holds that that's okay to do that, and I still feel guilty. Mm-hmm. And then I hope that I can, you know can shrug it off a little bit and and move on but you know being the the other person in a relationship where the other person is sick like that as you know very well is um is tricky sometimes 
It is. It is. So how long have you been living with this diagnosis, you and your husband? I think it's seven years. Oh, yeah. seven years. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it's, um, yeah. And, and it was a shock so, to the it was a yeah. shock to the system, but he was able to um, go for six almost six of those years with medication. So there was no dialysis and all that stuff until the last year year and a half. And when that started, that was the real. That's when it felt like loss to me, you know, loss yeah. of as much. Um, uh, freedom of motion, you know, he's he's hooked up to a machine at night um, for eight hours. You know, so things definitely are different. You know, he has to be home yeah. at, at, at the right time to be able to do that, so you can't stay out drinking all night. Not that we were doing that anyway, but I'm just, <laughs> just being funny. Um, but, you know, things changed. And um, and even if we wanted to go out and stay out all night, we could, we can't. You know, so, I don't know. It's... it's uh, it's it's part of our life, but it is yeah. life, and I like what you call the new engagement of life. Um, yeah. I like that. You that's know, a, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, and you know what uh, was interesting? What you were just when you were describing that, you were saying when we go out or when we we need to be back at a certain time. We and I could so identify with that. Is that it was really. You know, that was the inseparable part of us, is that, and and I, you know, the time that um, everything that, that I was engaged with had in that the calculation of her condition and of Matt's condition, and that we reshaped life together, and 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 there is that 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 whole... It's a combination. It doesn't affect just one person when there's a an intimate relationship involved. And so, you know, that really touched me when you're saying we do this, we do that. Life is altered for everyone. And so, and I, I was I was thinking about the, you know, I was going to ask you, Deborah, how you guys communicated. I know in our experience, we communicated more at the beginning. And then there became this kind of communication, the unspoken communication, and and just that settling into this. And that on occasion we would we would talk about it and and to address how we were feeling. And it really is important to stay current. But how did you how do you guys, you know, in that the seven years find how did you find your communication and and connection with each other? Well. Interesting. Um, <laughs> well, I'm, I'm going to share something here. Pete and I have lived together for 26 years, and we just got married October 17th. So we just wanted to just be darn sure that everybody knew we were committed. Um, so <laughs> our, commu- <laughs> our communication is amazing and we have been mm-hmm. uh, that's one of the things for 26 years we've never stopped talking to each other so we never really went up or down in the communication that i can recall in that seven-year period uh in terms of going quiet or whatever um but i went to all of his doctor's appointments um until he started the um the new phase which is the dialysis 
and I went in the beginning, and I was I was trained so that if 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 he couldn't for some reason hook up for the dialysis, I I can do it. I'm, I haven't practiced uh-huh. it, you know, but I can. And um, uh, and there's a couple things that I do for him. Um, supposed to be every day it turns out to be every couple days but anyway uh to keep all of that stuff working properly um with the equipment and we're just very close i mean we're just very very close and i feel a big we bigger we than ever between him and me that's a beautiful so i don't know yeah yeah we're just it's it's we (laughs) we're doing it yeah, and and it, it is you know so that that we and that and so the the earlier part of the conversation about how do we balance us and ourselves you know is is pretty applicable to what you're going through right now, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <clears throat> it is. And yeah. I went away. I went to Arkansas for um, six days, and uh, <clears throat> I had to I had to really. Uh, school myself on um managing that that guilt and that gosh you know what i need to be i should be home i should yada yada so i was doing the big should 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 and i thought you know what i really i really want to go and see my brothers and i really need to go and do that for me and i'm 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 thinking it's a good time to do it and i'm going and i'm so glad that i did and everything was fine while i was gone um and it was it was definitely a a challenge at times to um to to go and to be gone because i i feel like the the we i was letting the we down <laughs> yeah and you know i was i was not there and uh, and what if something happened blah 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 so <clears throat> yeah it everything changes and it's um it's the price we pay for loving others and we willingly yeah. pay it yeah, there's a, if, would you mind if I offer some feedback on that, of that, or address some of those things because of the the idea of the guilt and the, the idea of of the moving in that separation? I can completely relate to because it really was that when I was away, I felt I needed to be there, and and there were times when I was there saying I need some space i need i need some of my own space and that was really a hard balancing act and that was really that the idea of the guilt of of not being there for me it was it was you know it was that these are moments i'm going to miss you know every moment that i lived knowing that in in our experience was it was a photograph. I, you know, I, 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 it was a mental photograph of every moment because I don't want to forget this. I don't want to miss this. There was just always this sense of not just needing to be there for them, but needing to be there for me because I knew how limited our time was. I didn't know what the limit was, but I knew there was there was limited, and uh, for each one. And so that was that gravitational pull, and there was this always. Wherever I was, I just wanted to be back with them, and 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 then there were times when, you know, I needed to be away, and it was like I could never get truly away, and I had to I had to just say, okay, that's just part of the journey, is that I will never be truly away from this this relationship and and the, the we, and I'm telling you, Deborah, just. Uh, 
extrapolate on that a bit is that even to this day, you know, many years after their death, I, I, I will never be away from that. It is a part of the landscape of my life, and I've learned to accept it, and I've learned to appreciate it, but I've learned that, to understand it. And so I don't look at it as guilt for me, and I hope that, that there are times I look at it as that that separation physically or that need that they need, I, I was addressing for them, that their spirit and I are, are always connected wherever I am. And that helped me a lot to move away from thinking that that I'm not in the right place anymore. There's there's different levels of relationship. There's something by you and Pete that is just, in, you know, uniquely and intricately connected no matter what the location is. You know, I, I can just feel that with you guys. Well, that's that's nice. I'm hopeful. I like that <laughs> because <laughs> well, the reason I'm saying that by way is because so often in my life I have felt like I was in the wrong place. You know, it's really an odd feeling. Like I can remember a couple of times walking in the mall with my girlfriends on the weekend. So I was not supposed to be at work. I was not supposed to be anywhere else. I did not have any other plans except to be at the mall with my girlfriends. And I would have the sense that I was in the wrong place. So I have that in my consciousness every now and then. It's like, oh, I'm in the wrong place. So I appreciate that you said that. I'm going to hold that. Yeah, and also to address that, because I've experienced that, this is why I'm, I, I'm addressing it, because I know it so well, is that I had to address that feeling. That was part of my own personal experience of saying, why do I always feel I need to be someplace else? Why is there this drawing and I can't be fully here? And I, I did seriously have to address that. Of how do I, And the question that I would ask myself is, how can I be fully present right here? What do I need to let go of? What do I need to embrace to really be in this moment? And what I found in my respite time with caring is that if I could get the greatest amount of capacity of being wherever I was, then when we were together, I could be more fully there in a, with a nourished spirit and an and a, and a, and a restive, you know, state of being rather than a different different kind of dynamic. So I really had to address that on my own personal level of why can't I just be right here, right now. And and because there's so many gravitational pulls that go on. And I found myself orbiting around old ideas, old behavior, old emotions, but also real present emotions. Of, you know, I, I just want to, I, I need to be there. And, uh, but that really took away from being here. Mm-hmm. Well, I I understand that completely. I really, really do. I understand that one completely. And, um, yeah, that's that's kind of throwing me for a loop here. i got to get myself back here. <laughs> yeah, because I just, I always feel like I'm, I, I, and I also have the what if I'm not in the right place at the right time. That's the other one. You know, like here I am, 
I'm I'm good. I'm I'm here. I'm I'm where I'm I am. I'm good here. And then uh oh. What if I'm not in the right place? Ah, it, I can drive myself crazy. <laughs> So, yeah, yeah. So a better question is what you just said. How can I be fully present right now and have a nourished spirit while I'm here? Yeah, exactly. And that's you a know, very that's good. Also... Go ahead. No, I was you go ahead. Well, I was going to say that that the that 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 question that you asked, you know, was is really a part of a belief system saying I'm not in the right place. And I needed to shift my belief system that wherever I am is exactly where I need to be. And so that that was a fundamental element, building block for being in the moment, that I am not in the wrong place. I am exactly where I need to be. So in that consciousness, to say now that I am here, what is it that is I need to open to experience in this place? But to be to be drawn back into I'm in the wrong place is, is really something that very fundamentally needs to be addressed, whether you want to keep that or not, whether it serves you or not. You know, it is about that's really a core belief system that needs to be addressed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can see that, that that is something that um, I've dealt with that for decades. It's not just this circumstance. It's, you know, it's been probably way back in childhood, if I think about it, um, feeling like I was in the wrong place. I lived in uh, in Ankara, Turkey in uh, for 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. And, you know, missing the school bus to come home would have been a disaster. I mean, like a big-time mm. disaster. <laughs> because we did not live in, a, in a, um, a compound or anything like that. We lived in, uh, you know, in the community in Ankara. And mm-hmm. that whole missing the bus thing, um, would be a major in the wrong place type of situation, and I had nightmares about that for decades after we came back to the United States. So clearly, it's something that I need to work on. It's like I am in the right place. I am exactly where I'm supposed to be, and now that I'm here, what do I need to be open to receive? So that was a yeah. gift that you just gave me today. Thank you so much for that, and I will write that and put that in some place that I can see it on a regular basis because I think that is going to help me a lot. Yeah. Yeah, well, good. And then there's another thing that that you brought up just now that I find true with everyone's experience with loss is that it brings up all our old belief systems, but it also brings up our, our deepest wounds. And, you know, that, that what you described is, makes all the sense in the world because of, of what you have experienced. And what I, what happens when loss happens or when they're, they're, they're dealing in a different environment is that I had to readdress everything and say, is this now or is this then? Is this, mm. this is not that, this is not that. But it, I had to address those deeper things, and that's what a lot of people just want to avoid. But we can't go around these things. We just can only go through them. And it's how we go through them is how we find our way into a place of healing and peace and 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 moving in a, and so this this is a bigger issue it's it's not just Pete and and being away in arkansas this is a massive massive part of the deep wound and, and a belief that needs to be gently addressed and that's what i'm really 
strong and, and that gentleness address what is with, with gentleness and, and a sense of, of uh, kindness to ourselves and just say, this is how I feel now. What, what do I want to do with it? Exactly. Wow. I'm actually, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm breathing into that one. I'm breathing into that one, and I hope others are breathing into that because I think this is probably um, something that other people can certainly relate to. You know, like you just said, it's it's about old wounds that just kind of show up sometimes. You go, what the heck is that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Where did that come yeah. from today? <laughs> and the only way I can unpack that is in the present, wherever I am. So when mm-hmm. that shows up, like in Arkansas, that's exactly where you needed to be to feel what you needed to feel to bring into consciousness what those feelings and experiences are. Because, you know, I'm a real strong believer of consciousness equals choice. And and so I can't have a choice without consciousness. So in Arkansas, you can say, yeah, I feel this, but it's okay. It's okay to feel this, and I'm in the right place, and I'm going to enjoy my family, and I'll come home. And, and be with Pete and enjoy Pete when I get home. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, you did a beautiful. Uh, it, it was it was phenomenal. It was phenomenal, and um, and I don't know when I'll do it again. And I said when, not if. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> very. But you very know what? <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is um, this is. This is the the work we do, you know that that going the distance and what that means to each person. You know, being present means something to to me that may mean something different to you, but it's all what we have to work on in order to live that happy, fulfilled life with a nourished spirit and a brain that doesn't make you crazy. And very true. Very true. Just, uh, I know. I'm I'm rambling, but I'm thinking. Okay, this is all good. This is all good. It's the journey, and really, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It's all about this journey. It, yeah, and, it is. It's all about know, and, engaging. Mm-hmm. How do we engage with life? How do we engage with loss? How do we get engage with ourselves? How do we engage with the ones we love? You know, it, it, it's all about engagement and, and, and how, what level and what capacity do we want to lean into life to experience what's on offer in this life while we have this life. I want to read something that is in the description of this show so that we have it on this recording because it's something that you have written and that I put on our description pretty much every time, but I really love it. And it's this. When we give ourselves permission to lean into loss, this unique process of healing finds its own time and rhythm. There are parts of the after loss that only you know and only you can travel. But everyone who has experienced loss in one form or another knows the path has many footprints that can lead us into healing. We are not alone. Yes. Benjamin Allen. <laughs> yes. I, I, I just tr- think that I is truly, so good. Thank you. I truly believe that. And I truly live that. And uh, I'm do. truly grateful, grateful for that. 
I know that about you very much so. And I appreciate you and I love you. And I would like for you to tell people how they can get hold of you. And I want to make sure that they get your book, Out of the Ashes, Healing in the Afterloss. It is brilliantly written. It is the story of love and loss in a way that most people will never be able to um, imagine. What, what you went through and, and the honor that you gave your family by writing the story. And it's just so beautiful. Uh, so tell people how they can get hold of you, and then we'll sign off, my friend. Sure. Uh, there, there's a website called uh, theafterloss.com, and you can find me there. You can also find uh, me on a Facebook page called Healing in the Grief and Healing in the Afterloss. Uh, and that's on Facebook. And so those are a couple of ways. But And then the book, Out of the Ashes, Healing in the Afterlife, is uh, attainable on both that, uh, both those locations as well as Amazon. And I recommend the book highly. Um, if, if you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have, you will want that book because you'll get more of Benjamin's beautiful way of seeing the world not just the world of the afterloss, but the world that we live in. And I love that you said that about spiritual nourishment. I'm going to go write that down too. Nourished spirit. How can I be fully present right now with a nourished spirit? And that's what I hope for everyone that's listening to us today. Thank you for being with us. And this is another episode of Healing in the Afterloss. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye.